So let's get into the word of the Lord. This morning or this day, I will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 15. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of your Lord Christ Jesus, that all of you agree with one another, and in that you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Apollo. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Thus is the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to speak to you on the subject today, one mission, one God, changing the rules of engagement. That is changing the rules of engagement. Oftentimes, when 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 15 is mentioned in the sermon, or communicated in conversation or Bible study, it's often to convey the importance of forgiveness and unity and brotherhood within the church. I've heard Bishop Green, big shout out to Bishop Green and, and Elder Lady Carmen, but I've heard him often preach about the message, how, we can, how can we call ourselves as Christians when we ourselves hold grudges against one another within this very church? Move across the aisle to avoid sitting next to each other, gossiping and forming cliques in our church. Now, as true and important this message of unity is, today I am called to speak and to examine this verse, these verses even further to explore the divisions that work to separate us and to help reconcile us to the cross. And we can do this by overcoming the generational and economic divisions among us. Amen? Today I will explore three important things that I think uh, we as the modern church need to reevaluate if we really are going to be more effective in engaging communities, especially communities across different generations, across different economic lines. Those three things are connection, tradition, and values. That's connection, tradition, and values. As we go into it, let's talk about connection. The message and mission of our faith does not change. It should not change. We are all here but to be humble servants for Christ. But the way we go about engaging communities needs to be more transformational and less transactional, especially if we're going to reach more people. When we talk about younger generations, we talk about millennials and Generation Zers, gone are the days of outreach where it was limited to just door-to-door -door knocking or limited to handing out pamphlets or organizing bake sales. We must think of ways to reach people that don't resemble traditional ministry. 
If you have not already started doing so, one way to begin is to look for ways that you can turn your personal mission, turn your hobby, turn your practice into a new way to connect with other people. For example, I turned my passion into media and media arts into a career, but more importantly, I turned it into a ministry by the grace of God. I have a Bible study with some of my alumni from my program, the Loop Lab. Huge shout out to our Loop Lab organization. And they know my faith. Even though it's a secular organization, they inspire me and my faith inspires them. Even though many of them would not set foot into this church or any church. Importantly, my company places video interns into PT, which not only addresses our need as a church for media ministry, but also puts young people back into the house of the Lord. Amen? A separate point to be made about connections is that we should not force or push our agenda, push God onto anyone who's not ready, but also don't hide our allegiances to God. Simply letting people know that you are a resource when you're ready can be enough. I'm an owner of a minority-owned business in Cambridge, Equity Intelligence LLC, which is a staffing company. And I'm also the founder of a non the nonprofit I mentioned earlier, the Loop Lab in the city of Cambridge. My companies, as I mentioned, were, are secular. But all those who know me know that everything I do is but by the grace of God. And I'm very explicit about that. And both of those companies are part of my ministry. I'm thankful that my work with these students have led to success in their lives professionally, but also it has helped to lead and open doors for them, and most importantly has opened many of their hearts to God. Today I've brought a former student with me. Big shout out to Tevin Charles, AKA Young Surf God. <laughs> it's a, very much a Generation Z member, but he is here to share a short testimony about non-traditional outreach and how it's impacted his life. He will be speaking to you later this afternoon. You see, people in our society are becoming more hard-hearted. They're becoming numb, less sensitive to the promptings of the Lord. Because of church scandals, decreasing relevancy of the church in their everyday lives and affairs, people are drawing further and further away from the church and even from God. However, we as humans are wired to seek God. It's in us. We're engineered to seek the higher power, the highest power. And if people are no longer seeking Christ, they will try to fill that void with something else. They have been filling that void with something else. So we should seek to communicate with people in ways that they can understand, respond to, and are accessible to them. Now, one thing that I've noticed that is a big barrier in di of difference is in our communication styles. That is a huge barrier for generational economic divide. For example, we'll take a generational example. Many baby boomers, shout out to our baby boomers. Come on, make some noise, baby boomers. All right. Some of our folks in that generation, they value a nice handwritten note. While many of our millennials, where are my millennials at? All right. <laughs> they appreciate a short point, a short to the point text message. Naturally, we think our preferred method of communication is superior to others. 
But in order to really bridge the divide, we must put all thoughts of superiority behind. We must humble ourselves and really authentically attempt to meet people where they are. Now, let's not forget about the other spectrum, the other end of that spectrum. PT has done an amazing job pivoting to online media. It's been amazing attending online. And, and to those on YouTube, big shout out to each of you who are in the chat, who are watching us this, uh, this afternoon. And when the pandemic started, to see that pivot occur, it's been amazing to watch. And we should all be proud of that. Our teams here should be proud of this pivot. But could it be that we are so focused on virtual ministry and email communications as a church that we're missing out on a whole group of people? We're missing out on a group of people who don't have access to internet. And what about the people that are visually and also hearing impaired? These are things that I think are important blind spots as we're talking about communications. So I want to tell you about a, little, a quick story about someone, someone special to me. I want to tell you about Stephanie. Many of you here may or may not know her as Mother Stephanie Toll. Hey, Stephanie Toll. All right. Uh, she's here with me today. So in 1969, Stephanie came from Trinidad with her husband to the United States. They settled roots in the Port neighborhood in Cambridge, and Stephanie had a desire to work in the medical field. She pursued this dream, and she went to school for nursing. So after several years, her and her husband, they eventually saved money, and they purchased a home there to really live out what we call the American dream. She takes a local nursing job, and she is both thrilled and overwhelmed to be working in a real hospital. But Stephanie is not your average nurse. You see, it's the 1970s. She's black, and she's in Boston. She has children. And she stands out, but not for the reasons that one wants to be recognized for. And as we can all assume or expect, she faces microaggressions. She faces harassment. When she speaks up, she's told it's just the nature of the medical industry. Now, not one to easily give up. Stephanie still manages to overcome these challenges, despite the negativity. She's even able to open doors for other black and brown nurses in that hospital. Think to yourself, who are you opening doors for? Who are you opening doors for? Who am I opening doors for? Now, over the decades, she purchases a home in the port, as I said earlier, and she becomes very active in her community. She sits on several organization boards, including the Margaret Fuller Neighborhood House, and becomes a pillar in that community. Her Tuesday morning women's leadership breakfasts at the house become an institution in the city. She was even celebrated with an award recognizing her for her accomplishments in this very congregation. This is where she got baptized and gave her a heart to Christ. Amen? Praise God. Fast forward, and her husband passes away, and she's now living alone. At the age of 90, she is still living independently by the grace of God, but is very vulnerable. A relative sees this, convinces her 
to stay with her and then begins a process of manipulation to isolate her from family and friends. This relative ultimately talks Stephanie into selling her home. She doesn't want to sell her home, but unfortunately, she's easily confused, she's vulnerable, and this relative knows exactly what they're doing. Once the home is sold off, this relative is able to obtain all the money and quickly leaves the country, leaving Stephanie both hopeless and homeless. Can you imagine being a homeowner coming to this country to live the American dream after 60 years only to have it taken away from you? The heartbreak, the disappointment, the betrayal. But when we talk about economic justice, do we think to ourselves about people like Stephanie, about the vulnerable, about the elderly, how many Stephanies are in our very community? How many are being abused and taken advantage of? On a positive note, I am thrilled by the grace of God to report that she is no longer housing insecure. By the grace of God. Because of the work of many in the city of Cambridge, including myself and others, she now has access to resources and housing because of the, the, the prayers and, and the grace of God through this church, uh, you know, she currently lives in an elderly housing in Cambridge, not too far from here. And I have to say, she is one of the strongest women of God I've ever met in my life. Despite her challenges, she continues to overcome those obstacles, even at the age of 91. And a hugely uh, belated happy birthday to you, Stephanie Toll. Her birthday was several weeks ago. So we celebrate you and praise God for you. Amen. Amen. Now, I first learned about Stephanie and, uh, through this church and through the Port neighborhood and my activism there. And God had placed it in my heart to check in on her. No one else but God uh, really had put it on my heart to check in on her over the last several years. And what was important about this is it was God who put it in my heart to go across generational lines and to meet her, to meet Stephanie where she was. And my question for us is, who is God putting in your heart to reach out to? Regardless of their age, regardless of their economic status, or how much money they might have in their bank account, and how are we choosing to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? I'm 36, she's 91. Now that is a big generational difference. But through humbling myself and by trying to understand her generational values, I've been able to meet her where she is as a human being. And since then, I, I'm happy to say, and I praise God, that we've become really good friends. And that relationship has been a blessing to us both. Recently, I went over to her house to watch our Easter service. Praise God for the wonderful job the, the media ministry operations, but also praise and worship team did there. And when I was over at her home, and we were watching... Uh, on my laptop to service because she doesn't have internet. So I brought my hotspot. And in the midst of watching service, it wasn't until I saw her reaction that I realized how much it meant to her to be able to see church service again. She hasn't been to church over a year and a half. During the service, she clapped. 
She danced in her home, and she cried, and she looked me in my eyes and said, I want to be in the house of the Lord before I die. This moved me, and it was then that it hit me how disconnected she felt from our congregation. And it made me realize how we are possibly missing other people that are in a similar circumstance. You see, Stephanie doesn't have a smartphone. She doesn't have a laptop. PT has done a fabulous job pivoting to an online platform. But as we think about economic justice, I challenge us to start thinking about the people who don't have technology. What about them? We have to start thinking innovatively. We have to think about how can we effectively reach all nations, all people, even within our community. How can we expand our services to television, radio, written communication? There is a deep technology divide in our nation based on economic lines, and even in this own community when we talk about the affluent city of Cambridge. Much of that divide is drawn upon race, is drawn upon class, drawn upon age. But it is imperative for the modern church to address this, especially if we're going to reach people throughout all the nations, which is the Great Commission. Now, to me, economic justice looks like addressing the root causes of poverty, especially the causes of poverty in someone's life and improving their agency and the agency of poor people. When I stayed in a shelter in my youth, I did not have a choice. When my mother stayed in that shelter, she did not have a choice. Stephanie, until recently, also did not have a choice. The gospel of Christ is calling us to bridge all of these gaps, whether generational or financial. Now, as I, I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur, I'm passionate about spreading the kingdom of God in my work, but yet through the lens of economic justice. And it is because of my connection with others, like Stephanie, that keeps me grounded and reinvested in what we're calling biblical justice. Now let's talk about tradition. Tradition can be defined as an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought or action or behavior such as a religious practice or a social custom. This is passed down from one generation to another. Traditions are important. Traditions can be beautiful. Traditions are comforting. Traditions can be reassuring. But our traditions can protect our most precious principles, and they can also uphold the values that we share as a community. They're a good thing, or otherwise known as a God thing. But without the spirit of discernment, we can fall victim to our traditions being carnal and not, not only just cultural, but not spiritual. Tradition, just for the sake of tradition, can be a prison. And I'll say that again. Tradition, just for the sake of tradition, can be a prison. Do we want to put the Holy Spirit in prison? I can't. Do we want to put the Holy Spirit in a prison? No, no, no. And many non-saved people know this. Non-saved people see this. They know this. Certain cultural traditions are actually preventing people from engaging today's church. Our church has come a long way from being a very culturally Caribbean and Bayesian church to now expanding its culture to include other global traditions. 
And if we really want to reach Generation Z and the younger generations, and we talk about reaching millennials more, we are going to have to do some real soul searching and to do an inventory check on which tradition still makes sense to us. How can we as a community of Christians learn to embrace and protect our traditions while at the same time learn to adapt and embrace the differences of other generations and classes in our congregation? We must start by including more diverse voices in this generation and other generations. We have to include those other voices in our current conversation when we talk about biblical justice. For example, if church leadership consists of only church elders, how can they brainstorm ideas to bring in other generations? Now, Bishop Green and the elders of the church have done a great job getting more input, enabling the voices of the younger generation into church decisions. That fact is the very reason why I stand before you now preaching. We must continue to grow this practice even further and also include believers from different economic backgrounds. There are many people in our church who are doing very well financially. Praise God. This is amazing. This is a blessing. And many of them get to make leadership decisions in our congregation. But are there other perspectives being included in our decision making as a congregation? Are we running the risk of parachuting our own notions or ideas of what the poor need through our outreach and through our engagement? Rather than actually creating authentic spaces and agency for the underserved. Finally, we must open our minds and open our hearts to other perspectives, to other opinions, and step out of our comfort zones to embrace and appreciate change. What are we missing out on when we are not taking on new experiences? What are we missing out on by not being open, by being hard-hearted? As you may be aware, I am getting married this fall to a stunningly beautiful woman, Caitlin. Love you, baby. <laughs> She's been a blessing to me. She's been a true blessing to me in every way. And the Bible says that a man who finds favor, find, a man who finds a wife finds favor in the Lord. With that being said, to be honest with you, the person I'm getting married to is not necessarily who I thought I'd be getting married to years ago. I mean, she's from Vermont. I'm from Georgia. We make it work. <laughs> but her interests and life experiences are very different from mine. She loves the snow. I love, you know, tropical sun. We're just two very different people, but she has been my greatest blessing. And I often think about what I would be missing in my life if I wasn't open to God's vision. Amen? What opportunities is the body of Christ missing out on because of whom we are considering to be the other? What are you missing in your life because you are putting people in a box? Next, I want to talk to you about values, especially values based on lived experience. Values can be defined as differences in beliefs, interpretations, and expressions. Now, younger generations, they view things like justice, sexuality, and gender very differently than we do. And if we don't adapt to meet them where they are on these issues, 
they will not engage the church. I'll say that again. They will not engage the church until we meet them where they are. Who are we as individuals to judge others? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, Jesus is quoted as saying, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own? A person close to me has shared that while they love PT, they believe both in our mission, they appreciate our community. But no matter how hard they try, it is very difficult for them to join an organization that doesn't accept members of the LGBTQ community. They feel it is deeply hurtful and damaging to the population and silently cosigns the marginalization of an entire population of human beings. We should start thinking about the trauma that we are forcing onto people through exclusion. And it's not just the LGBTQ community. When we fail to properly address how we can get the physically disabled into our space, or how we can communicate effectively to the hearing impaired, what does that say about our desire to welcome them, to make them feel welcomed in our community? And what about differently abled people and people with behavioral health challenges? We have to strive to embrace our collective differences, to work as one for one mission for Christ. And I encourage us to be intentional about how authentic inclusion will look like in our community. And if we as a community are avoiding and deflecting this conversation altogether, how is our work avoidance and our silence on these issues causing more and more people to draw away further and further away from the church? As the church is watching people, I must share with you that people are all also watching the church. They're watching us. They are watching how we move. They are watching how we respond, how we choose to live our lives in public and private and our faith. They are not only a witness to God whom we value, but also how we choose to value others who are not like us. One thing that I'm learning as I grow older uh, as an importance of values is the importance of values is that they can change, right? They can change because our priorities can change. For example, in my 20s, I valued spending more money on travel. I love traveling. I still love traveling. But now as I prepare to start a family, I value saving my money to invest in my family's future more. How we choose to value other human beings and make them authentically valued can also change. But it only changes through our actions. Now, I'm not saying for us to throw out our principles because our principles are unchanging. But if we are really communicating that part of our values is where everybody is somebody, then we must truly live up to those words and begin to meet people where they are so we can guide them to where God wants to take them. Amen? To me, there's no better example of the transformative results of understanding someone's values than the story of Tevin Charles. Because Tevin was institutionalized for a crime he committed as a teenager, his options were limited. At the age of 23, he had limited options and could not afford college and struggled. When Tevin joined the Loop Lab program, 
the nonprofit I talked about earlier, he had access to free training, job and workforce development, stipends to secure financial stability during that one year of professional development. And that is where Tevin really thrived. But he truly thrived under my mentorship and continual guidance. Now, Tevin is 10 years younger than me. And when I first met Tevin, I didn't understand him at all. I'll be honest with you. Tevin is a part of Generation Z. He has a whole nother vibe. His values are very different than my own. His generation really values individual success over the other kinds of success. I grew up, at least in my own generation and community, where everyone's success, your success was everyone's success. It's a completely different paradigm. Social issues related to civil rights and social ju justice are really importantly critical to his generation. And the church often does not play a significant role in their lives as much as it does in other generations. And to many younger generations, the church no longer plays a relevant role in their reality. Therefore, it's no longer relevant in their everyday life. It wasn't until I stopped trying to change Tevin's values on the onset and started to accept him and meet him where he was that he began to, that's when I began to see him engage more and more into what I had to say and, and also into the gospel. So I've invited Tevin to come uh, to share his testimony, to talk more about his experiences uh, in our relationship. And after he speaks, then I'll close this out in a closing blessing. Amen? Amen. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. All, all the service that I heard today was wonderful. Thank you, Brother Chris, for shouting me out. Thank you guys for having me here. Oh, let me take my glasses off. You got Sorry it, about that. So I'm going to piggyback up on what Chris said about me and my life growing up. Uh, I, I'm from the port area. I was kind of into trouble a lot. I was kicked out of schools. I was placed in out-of-placement schools. Um, being, uh, yeah, so I, I was kicked out of, out of schools and out-of-placement schools. Um, I was living in programs, I was hospitalized, there's been countless names and labels that I've had to like live throughout my entire life. Um, also, my family's Jamaican, so you know, Christianity is a big thing in my household. And for me, growing up, some of the things were like I was conflicted about because it never made sense to me, like being forced to do things that I didn't like, just it never, it never stuck with me, it never made sense. So there was always conflict and so that therefore I kind of turned to the streets because the streets were something that I could identify as and it, it allowed me to be who I was. But again, that caused a lot of trouble, a lot of dis uh, embarrassment to my family. Um, don't really want to talk too much about that. But what I would say is going through all those life experiences and all those uh, trials and tribulations where I was living in hospitals, I've had to learn to like identify with other people, learn what mental illnesses and how those things affect me and how every day like I'm carrying something that most people don't identify as or don't understand like the older generation because how they were raised it was oh you're hard on nails this is what this is and th what you're saying just doesn't make they didn't it doesn't make sense to them it didn't register to their brain to think that somebody that has ADHD or somebody that has um, anger problems or just very hyperly active could could uh, 
have actual problems. It's just, oh, you need to go to church and pray to the Lord. So that's where my disconnect came with uh, the church. But meeting Brother Chris um, at a time in my life where I was, like, really low, like I had, um, I went to this program called Year Up Boston, and that was through uh, Moses, the co-founder of the Loop Lab. Um, I had become an ambassador of the program. I was one of the presidents. I was even teaching the classes. I was there to learn computer technology. And um, uh, one of these, the one, like I had a, uh, how do I say this? There was a, a misunderstanding between me and my supervisor. One of my friends was sexually assaulted and I had conveyed a message to my, my superior that I wouldn't be showing up for work today and there are certain thoughts in my head that were troubling me and I explained that to them. And then when I went to the program the next day, I found that I was fired. I, <laughs> I was fired because of what was affecting me in my head, what was mentally causing me to like feel pain. I couldn't show up to work and I couldn't do my job to the best ability, but I was fired for that. I was fired for expressing myself. So that, that made me just feel like everything, oh, this is the same cycle again. I'm gonna go down this path, this, everything, all my emotions, everything was just, it, was, it caused me even more pain to myself. And um, I, I lost faith, I lost belief in myself. I felt like I had nowhere to go. Um, but one thing that always kept me afloat was playing basketball. Playing basketball was like my, always my vision growing up. I'm gonna be in the NBA, I'm gonna be doing all this, be a superstar. And one day in the summer of 2018, I met uh, Chris. I was at a basketball tournament. If you guys know the Port Life Tournament, Port Pride Day. Um, I was playing, and my team had just won the championship, so I was in great spirits. And this guy just walks up to me. He's like, hey, man, like, do you, wanna, can I, do you have a minute so I could talk to you about this program that we got going on in Cambridge for, uh, for black kids and, and, and underprivileged people in the community? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was in great spirits. He started telling me about the Loop Lab and what... Um, what they could do there between audio visual and with music. And at the time, I'm in a music group with my friends and I'm like, this is perfect. So I'm like, I'm gonna tell all my friends about this. I'm gonna tell everybody in the poor neighborhood, like you guys have to sign up for this because it doesn't make sense if this is a resource that we could use to better our craft and better ourselves and be in a position to professionally grow as and develop as artists, everybody has to know about this. So that's what I did. I applied for the program. I had all my friends apply. Um, honestly, I kind of felt like there was some shady stuff going on because I got my, I got accepted last. I, I invited all my friends and two of my friends got accepted before me. So I'm like, how does this work? <laughs> okay, so like, I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna get in the program. But then I got the last message. I got the last call. Chris was like, you're accepted to the program. And literally I like, I like started crying that night. I told my mom, I was like, mom, I think I'm gonna be able to finally like realize my dreams. I'm gonna be able to make music and do all the things that like, you said I couldn't do, but like now I got it. To, now I'm in a position to do it professionally, and you're gonna like be proud of me. So like um, that was still like a tough situation. She didn't really get get what I was saying. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna work and do this," and I'm like, "Yeah, mom, watch, just watch." And um, yo, God bless because like going to the program, I ended up going there. Like I said, trying to be the best rapper, best whatever, but I ended up becoming a full developed artist where. I was able to learn how to use cameras. I, was learned, I learned how to use Pro Tools. I learned how to uh, create podcasts. I learned how to develop a business. I learned how to um, start my own business. I have my own business and my own clothing line. So right, it's called, <laughs> thank you. Uh, my clothing line is Young Surf God Clothing, but I, I also do audio engineering and I freelance my camera work and my, uh, my audio skills. 
out to the public. I've worked with people from all across the world, like Libya, I worked with somebody from Amsterdam, I worked with a, a bunch of African artists. So like these are things I never thought I was gonna be able to do, or I never thought I had like the resource, or I never thought anybody would ever back me up on it. But that's what the Loop Lab did. The Loop Lab was able to put me in a position where it, it allowed me to value myself and my own creativity and my passion. Like, I always felt like as an artist, I, nobody was listening, nobody cared. But at the Loop Lab, it didn't, it, that really didn't matter because it was, there was just like a, so, a fam, family knitted, like tight group. We were in a small little office, like it, it fit like five people. So like, you're like, if somebody's thinking something in their head, you know what they're thinking because it's like, there's no space for it, your thoughts to go anywhere but somebody else's head. And, um, but that's, that, that for me was what I appreciated. I, like, I, I, I enjoyed being able to work with people that were actually listening and dedicated to like my craft. It wasn't like something they were trying to take hold and change it. Um, perfect example, I did a documentary on the port about um, how housing is throwing people out for, for the people, workers at MIT to come in and they're, they're replacing us in the projects at, in, in housing authority. That doesn't make any sense. But I had an executive decision with, with uh, the teacher, Matt, and uh, it was something that like maybe like it was gonna ruffle feathers and ruffle the edges on certain things because we were presenting this at WBUR, a place that I never thought I'd put step my foot in and, um, um, at Google. And I, I, I was like, Matt, this has to stay here. It was like, a, it was a certain music change and switch. And come to find out when I went to go to the, to the presentation, they, everybody loved that part. They were like, that's the best part in the, the, in, the, in the documentary because it shows who you are and shows your vision of how you saw things. And to me, I, like, like I said, it, it just made me feel more appreciated. It made me feel humbled that somebody's like actually enjoying my content, enjoying my work. And um, I have worth to this, like in my opinion, matters. Um, so for me, that, that was wonderful. Um, and just to wrap it up, like stories with Chris, like I feel like me and Chris developed a bond where, like he said, it was rocky in the beginning. It made no sense because I'm like, I'll never really speak to, I would never speak to somebody like this because he's very, very into religion. And I'm, I'm, I'm into religion, but I'm more on the spiritual side where I believe in a higher power. I believe in the highest power, but I believe everybody has their own way of serving God, has serving, serving whoever they, whoever they believe in. And we spent countless hours after the Loop Lab. Like, he didn't have to stay with me. And a lot of the conversations sometimes were, we were talking about Star Wars, we were talking about movies, but it was just somewhere, uh, he made this place a home for me, somewhere comfortable where I could let my guard down and he can let his guard down. I feel like I actually saw him as a person. I saw his soul, his energy, and I was like, there's no way I can like combat him no more. There's no way I should be uh, stubborn to him or, or, or we should be butting heads. And, and the times we did butt heads, it was like, you know, he has his own beliefs, I have my own beliefs, but it was never something where I could be like, I can't, I can't talk to you, I can't be positive around you, I have to disengage with you be, just because of the person I know he is and then that is the whole entire, he, he, he's the embodiment of the whole entire mission of the Loop Lab. There's like, there, there's nothing, there's, no, there's nothing I can do, like there's nothing you could do to like push me away from that, like it was just, it's amazing. So, um, I just wanted to say that and I like the things that we've done, I've traveled to Infocom 
in, in Orlando. I've met people from Germany, Switzerland again. Um, I made connections out there in Orlando with people from California where I moved in. I moved to California last year and I went there on almost like a, a spiritual uh, trip for myself to realign myself with my body, with nature, with the world and with people because like this pandemic has us all closed in a box. So like we're not being able to like communicate with people. So the, the, I thought it was a good idea for me to go communicate back with the world and find myself within this place and, and dive into energy that I needed to, to be better as a human being. And um, now I have a son. He's uh, a month and three days, three days years old. I came back to Massachusetts for that. Uh, to start my family, and I love my family. I have an amazing partner. She's a great mother. She's going strong with the breastfeeding, like a whole month in now. So I I'm very happy for her. It's 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 it's, it's like this time is a blessing for me. My son is beautiful. He's gorgeous, and um, I'm thankful for all the opportunities I've been presented. I wouldn't have any of them if I didn't join the Loop Lab. Oh, and I also work for the Cambridge Public Library, um, serving the public as a as whatever they want me to be, an audio engineer, a camera operator, a digital storyteller, storyboarding for them. Um, my, my whole goal and my, my life goal, my purpose is, is to give back to people just because I grew up in a, in a, in a place and a time where I didn't have, like my father, I didn't have anybody, so I just wanted to give back to young men of color. Um, I also was a youth worker, so that was another way I was serving my purpose. And like Chris said, there's other ways and other, other facets where you can serve your purpose. It doesn't have to be through a church. For me, serving my purpose was working as a youth worker and giving back to the kids that didn't have anybody or didn't have a brother or a father in their life that could sit down with them for like five minutes and just say, hey, this decision is not the smartest decision, but I still love you. If you go make that decision, I'm still going to love you. We're not going to close this door for you. And that's, that's what I loved about the Loop Lab because it made me realize I have to do that on a grander, uh, grander uh, stand, and, and I'm here right now speaking to you guys, and this is my second time public speaking, so <laughs> uh, I love it, man. I love it, and I love you guys, and thank you for accepting me here. Thank you. Praise God. <laughs> praise God, praise God. Thank you, Tevin, for your testimony. Praise God. Thank you for your uh, testimony, Tevin. I pray that as we continue our journey of biblical justice and economic justice this year, that we open our hearts and open our minds to changing the rules of engagement on how we can connect with others, how we look at our traditions, and how we look at our values. Tevin's testimony here is a result of channeling my passion through ministry. But now I have some homework for you. In the next week ahead, I challenge you, I challenge you to think about one way that you're going to reach out to someone who is not in your immediate circle. Or to do an act of kindness for someone who you believe is feeling isolated from the church. If you're on YouTube, I invite you to type what you're going to do in the chat right now. Or you can keep it to yourself. Now, it's standard practice of our Bishop Green to not close us out in a prayer, but to close us out in a closing blessing. So please put your palms up if you're, as if you're receiving a gift so that I may bless you. Barring the words from the priestly blessing, 
on God's people in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you, look after you, shield you, defend you, and take care of you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, grin, beam, and show his pleasure. And may the Lord be gracious to you, that's kind-hearted, pleasant, and compassionate. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you and side with you as you side with him. And finally, may the Lord give you his shalom, his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success, and remove anything that may cause agitation or discord with his divine purpose and destiny over your life. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say, I receive that blessing. God bless you. Amen. Chris and Brother Tevin, thank you so much for that very powerful word. And as we have already been blessed, I am here to offer a closing prayer. And that prayer begins in the form of a scripture found in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so, Father, I pray today that as we have heard this word about being called to serve, Lord God, be called to leave behind the obstacles that prevent us from reaching out to our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you give us the mind of Christ, the mind of a servant, a humble mind, Lord God. This word should not go, Lord God, on deaf ears or just fall to the ground, but they are your words. And Father God, as we go out in this week and we've been commissioned, oh Lord God, to reach out to someone, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be able to see visually, Lord God, around us, transformations taking place in the life of your people, the lives of our neighbors, the lives of everyone who bears your image. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, everyone.